God is our way maker. Have we got that slide coming up? There it is. That's a fairly formidable barrier to that little person there on the right. But you know what? God can make a way where there is no way. That's what Greta shared. And we were um, in our home church, Church Unlimited, uh, the Sunday before Christmas last year. And uh, we got on to singing a song by a Nigerian worship leader. Her name is Osanaki Joseph. And she's written a song called God is Our Waymaker. And we began to sing the chorus, which goes like this coming up on the screen, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness, My God, That is Who You Are. I tell you what, as we began to sing that song, I noticed something happening in the meeting. As we kept singing it, the presence of God began to flood that meeting. It's almost like it kind of went up to a whole new level. And you know when that happens in a meeting, you've got to say, okay, Lord, are you trying to say something? Because you are really, it's almost like God's getting his highlighter and he's highlighting something. And okay, you're highlighting that. And then this is what the Holy Spirit said to me. He said, son, you are singing the theme song for 2019. And I mean, I'm going to believe it for the rest of my life, not just 2019. This, this is, I'm declaring this over my life. But I really believe this year and, and beyond, this, this is a... A song from heaven. He is the way maker. He still makes ways where there seem to be no ways. He is a miracle worker. He's still working miracles. He is a promise keeper. If you've received a promise from God and it's been decades and it hasn't happened, if that's from God, it'll still happen. And he is the light in the darkness. And my, there's a lot of darkness out in the world today. And people out there need to know that our God is not just a theory. He is light. And he's light in the darkness. My God, that's who you are. And you and I need to get back to declaring who God is over our lives. We need to not believe the lies of the enemy that he's anything else but what he says he is. So as I thought about this, I thought this would be a great, great thing to preach on. And I did some meditation and I put together a message. And two incidents in the Old Testament came to mind around this theme of him making invisible pathways become visible. And I think many of you will know these two incidents that I'm referring to. And one is the uh, crossing of the Red Sea by the Israelites. They had come out of Egypt. Um, They'd walked a a little distance and they came and they camped uh, by the Red Sea. But there were hills and very tall hills on each side of them and a sea in front. And then they discovered the Egyptian army was pursuing them. So they were incredibly trapped And the people were fearful. There was no way through. They couldn't go back, couldn't go to the side, couldn't go forward. And so Moses cries out to God. And and then God obviously speaks to him. And the people are panicking. But in Exodus 14, verses 13 through 16, this is what it says. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. You know, there's some people here and you're watching in. Right now, fear is getting a grip. You are, a, you are scared that disaster is going to happen. You are fearful that things are not going to work out. You're fearful that you're going to lose something. But you need to stand firm against the fear and intimidation of the enemy because that word says you. if you stand firm, that's why we put those cards together, if you stand firm, you will see 
the deliverance of the Lord. That's a word to someone this morning. You will see the deliverance of your kids, of your circumstances, of your situation. We will see deliverance in our nation from darkness if we stand firm as churches up and down this land. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. I reckon there's some enemies that every one of us are fighting right now in our hearts and in our minds and circumstances. We need to know that there'll come a day we'll never see those. You'll never see that depression again. You'll never see that financial need again. If you trust God, He will bring you through. It might be through a valley of suffering, but He'll get you out onto the other side. Moses goes on to say, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Unusual strategy. And the staff that uh, was just a shepherd's staff that Moses had, but uh, he'd thrown it down before Pharaoh and it had become a snake and he picked it up again. It became a staff. It, it, it symbolizes authoritative and persistent prayer. Because later on in Exodus, uh, they have a time where the, the Israelites fight against the Amalekites and Joshua leads the army and Moses is up the hill with his staff and every time he lifts it up, Joshua wins and every time he lowers it, Joshua loses. It's well known by Bible students. It's a picture, that staff is a picture when you lift it up of persistent, authoritative prayer. And uh, and so, you know, God says, stretch out your staff. Now, the Hollywood version of this event is Moses just stretches out his staff and suddenly the waters part either side and they walk through. Well, that's actually not how it happened. And if we read on in verses 21 to 22, it says, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. So Moses stretches out his hand, but it takes all night for that wind to drive a pathway through the Red Sea. And I, I, I'm suspecting that Moses had to keep stretching out his staff all night long until that channel appeared. And many of us in an all night right now, many of us in a place where the channel hasn't yet appeared, but I believe that if you keep stretching out your rod of persistent prayer, you keep targeting that, there'll come a moment where a channel will appear and you'll walk through the barrier that currently is stopping you. You'll go right through it, but it takes persistent prayer, as Greta says, birthing and pushing and holding out your stuff and not dropping it because you get tired of waiting. All night long could be days, weeks, months, or even years. But he asks us to stretch out the staff in persistent prayer. How many have heard of a man called John Wesley? Just a few of you. He was the founder of the Methodist movement. He was a revivalist evangelist that lived in England in the 1700s. Now, a bit of history, the French had had a revolution where they'd throw in God out and the king out, and they became a secular republic, and, and they just didn't want to know about God being in the mix of the nation. And, and England was in a, and Scotland and Wales, was in a terrible state of immorality and, and spiritual uh, drudgery, and uh, it looked like 
the United Kingdom was going to have the same kind of revolution as the French. But some people got praying. God raised up a man called John Wesley who began to go through the nation preaching a revival fire message. And it wasn't very well received to begin with because he was a bit radical and a bit fiery for the church of the day. And here's an excerpt from his diary. I don't know which year it was, but he, he gives the days and the dates. Listen to this. He writes, Sunday morning, May the 5th, preached at St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. <laughs> Sunday evening, May the 5th, preached in St. John's, deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday morning, May the 12th, preached at St. Jude's, can't go back there either. Sunday morning, May the 19th, preached in St. Somebody's. Deacons called a special meeting and said I couldn't return. There's nothing worse than a deaconized church. Sunday evening, May the 19th, preached on the street, kicked off the street. Sunday morning, May the 26th, preached in a meadow, chased out of meadow as bull was turned loose during service. Okay, I don't think anything, any of us have experienced that, but man. Sunday uh, evening, May the 19th, Preached on the street, kicked off the street. Sunday morning, May the 26th, sorry, uh, Sunday morning, June the 2nd, preached at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. And Sunday afternoon, June the 6th, preached in a pasture, 10,000 people came out to hear me. Persistence, persistence. I reckon if you've been kicked out a few times, you could have given up. Some of us are so sensitive to rejection, but he said, no. You know what Jesus said to the Pharisees? Your approval or disapproval means nothing to me. I reckon John Wesley had a dose to that. We gotta stop living under the fear of what others think and do what God is asking us to do. Not being rude or arrogant, but being bold in our confidence in God and just saying, come on, Lord, we're gonna do this. He, he was persistent. But you know the other great secret of John Wesley? He prayed for four hours every day. 4 a.m. to 8 a.m., he prayed. You know, as he got older, he prayed for eight hours every day. It was persistence and prayer that saw actually Great Britain come into revival and not have to go through a French Revolution. I don't know about you, I don't have the capacity to pray for four or eight hours right now. But you know what I got? I got hunger for God to increase my capacity. I believe that all over the earth, God is waking the church up, getting us back to prayer, getting us back to mission, getting us back to worship, getting us back to hungering after God. And he's saying, come on, my people, I want you to pray for hunger and pray that I'll increase your capacity. I've got hunger to go beyond where I am. I wanna go beyond where I currently am in my prayer life. Go beyond where I am in my fasting. Go beyond where I am in my seeking. Even if you add 10 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day to your prayer life, just go beyond where you are. Do not stay where you are at a time where God is calling us on. Because if the church stays where it is, this nation's going to continue to go downhill. And we need the church to rise up and begin to stretch out our rod of persistent prayer and belief that God can come. And you know what? When Moses stretched out that rod, what happened? It says a wind came. And that wind 
Remove the barrier. I think God all over the earth is asking the church to stretch out the rod of prayer until a wind of the Spirit comes and it begins to blow upon our nations and our circumstances. And when the wind of the Spirit blows in response to us praying, that's when things get birthed. That's when invisible ways become visible. That's when God makes a way where there is no way. Well, I thought that was exciting preaching anyway. Keep holding on to the rod. The other incident that happened in the Old Testament was the crossing of the Jordan River 40 years later. Moses is now dead and, and Joshua is the leader of Israel. And the, the, the about two to three million people, they estimate, were camped on the east side of the Jordan and God had promised them the land on the west of the Jordan. That was the promised land. And, uh, and Moses has said, all right, I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to die. Joshua, you're going to have to take the people in. So Moses dies. And when they get over the morning of that, Joshua says, all right, what's the strategy for going in? And he begins to seek God. And in Joshua 3.8, um, obviously this is what the Lord said to Joshua as the strategy. Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River... Take a few steps into the river and stop there. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was a box, a um, rectangular box covered in gold, had a lid on it with some carved angels or cherubim on top, and inside it had the tablets of the Ten Commandments. Had a couple of rings each side, and they put a pole through, and four priests would hoist the Ark of the Covenant, which kind of connects to the presence of God. The presence of God hung, hung around that Ark of the Covenant. Ark just means a box or a, a container. And uh, the presence of God hung around it. And so the, these priests are hoisting, hoisting the Ark of the Covenant onto their shoulders. And, and Joshua is saying, uh, okay, guys, what you're going to do now is take a few steps into the river. You see, this is, this is symbolizing faith in action. Whereas the rod stretched out symbolizes persistent prayer, there has to come a time where you not only pray, but you act. You actually step into something. And this is symbolic of just faith and action. We need both. We need the prayer and we need the faith and action. And uh, the thing about it, though, is the Jordan River was in flood at this time. It was a formidable barrier. And uh, it was dangerous and fast-flowing. And... Uh, you know, the devil will always put a huge barrier between you and your future, you and your destiny. He will always do that. And God wants to actually test us to see, well, are we going to be intimidated by that? Or are we going to believe God that he can part the waters? So Joshua says to the priest, okay, step into the water. Um, verses 13 through 16, the priests will carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. It was the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam. You didn't know our town was named after your son, did you? And the water, <laughs> the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. So this was the strategy. But the priests didn't know this. And so they just, Joshua just said, you just come on, you just step in. Now, 
If I was the front two priests, I'd not be really happy at drawing that position, drawing lots for that position. It's all right for the back two. They could probably still stand on dry land. I had imagined those priests would be saying something, Joshua, remember how Moses did it? He was just on dry land and stretched out the rod and, and it, you know, it parted. Isn't that far safer, Joshua? And you know what? God never does two miracles the same way. He, he's always wanting to grow our faith. And then Joshua says, no, no, it's not going to happen like that this time. You guys have to carry the ark into the river. But Joshua, it's flooded. It's fast flowing. We could be swept away. Doesn't, you just trust God. Never mind. You do it. And, you, and I'm thinking those two front priests, oh, we, we really drew the short straw. But anyway, they were obedient and they stepped into the waters. And nothing happened, apparently, in their view. But what we just read says at that very moment that they stepped into the river, something happened at a town called Adam upstream. And I don't know what happened, but God dammed the River Jordan up. Maybe there was an earthquake that some land went up and, and stopped the river flowing. I don't know what happened. But the water began backing up all the way back to the Sea of Galilee. But the water from that point on had to keep flowing down to where the Israelites were. Now, Greta did some research for me and discovered that the... Uh, town of Adam was 30 kilometers upstream from where the Israelites were, from where those priests were standing in the water, 30 kilometers. Not only that, she discovered that the normal flow rate of the Jordan River is 18 meters a second or 65 kilometers an hour, but in flood time, it would be flowing faster. And the estimate is that in flood, a flooded Jordan River would be flowing at about 80 kilometers an hour. How many remember doing physics at high school? You remember those formulas for speed and distance and time? Well, here's a simple formula. Time equals distance divided by speed. So if you divide 30 kilometers by 80 kilometers an hour, you get three-eighths of an hour, which is 22 and a half minutes. So from the moment the priest stepped into the waters, 30 kilometers upstream, something stops. And the water keeps flowing down, but the priests don't know it. The Israelites don't know it. And you can imagine those priests. They've been in the water now for five minutes. Nothing's happening. They're probably thinking, man, what's going on here? My feet are cold. I want to get out. This is not working. Ten minutes go by. We're still here and there's still nothing happening. Maybe Joshua hasn't heard from God. Maybe he's got it wrong. And they begin to doubt their leader. 15 minutes go by. This really ain't working, they're saying. We just ought to get out and give up, maybe build a bridge or build a whole lot of boats. This is not going to work. You know, when something's not happening, you revert to man's way of thinking. And you're about to get your miracle and you abort it. You ask Abraham and Sarah. When Isaac was coming, they aborted the purposes of God for a number of years. Did a different way. 20 minutes. Still nothing. And a minute or two later, and they're still in there, they begin to see something happening. And the last of the water flowing from the town of Adam begins to flow past them. And it goes all the way down to the Dead Sea. And suddenly a dry riverbed opens up before them and three million people cross over into the promised land. Miracles aren't always instant. And that shouldn't weaken our faith. The moment you obey God and step out in faith, 
As long as it's God, as long as God's call, as long as you've got the ark on you, you've got the presence of God on you because God has spoken to you. Don't try and step out of it. It's just your ideas. There's no guarantee that you won't be swept away in, that, as in a disaster. But when you know it's God who's spoken, God who's asked you to do this, and you step out into that barrier with His presence, I want to tell you, I don't know how long you have to stand in the river, but there will come a time where that miracle that is happening upstream that you can't see will flow down toward where you are. We came out of summer this year because we're itinerant ministry. We're not salaried by a church. Uh, summer's not a good time for itinerants to visit churches because everyone's pretty much on holiday. So kind of have five or six weeks that we were not ministering and that's good because we need a break anyway after a busy year. But the thing is there's no financial income. So we get to the end of January, and I say to Greta, honey, I don't know what's happened, but our, our ministry funds are the lowest they've ever been. Uh, we're going to need about $10,000 just to get back up to just keep ministering as we, as we launch into ministry in February. And so we began to pray for a miracle. Now, the first thing we did is we gave $800 away to another itinerant ministry. And as I'm giving the 100, 800 away, I'm looking, ooh, I really could do with that. Do I really want to? But yeah, you've got to give. You've got to sacrifice and sow away from yourself. And the second thing we did is we went through all our expenditure with a fine-tooth comb, seeing what we could cut out. And our board finally said, you know, you, there's nothing more you can cut out. Just, you know, you've done the best you can. So we tried to reduce it. So we still had to believe God for $10,000. Well, somebody gave us $500. It came into our account. And then a significant church here in, in um, Auckland that we've ministered in in times past, but hadn't ministered there for over two years, suddenly put $3,000 in our account. I didn't know how or why that had come, but it came. And then someone else gave us a $500 donation. So we'd stepped into the water, and within a couple, two to three weeks, $4,000 had come in. And, you know, I was sort of tempted, well, that'll be enough. And then, no, don't ever settle for a partial breakthrough. Go for the full thing. We were praying for 10 grand, and, and uh, said, all right, Lord, we need another 6,000. And then it was about a three or four weeks later that towards the end of February, we went to a, another church in the city and they were just starting a new meeting, an encounter meeting. Uh, it was kind of late on a Sunday night, 7.30. It was only going to be 30 or 40 people. And I must admit, I was pretty tired that day. And I thought, oh, I wished I'd not sort of agreed to that meeting. And, uh, and you know, just, but then I thought, no, no, let's die to how you feel and just go and bless God's people. And so, you know, you got to die. The leaders will know this. you just got to die to how you feel and turn up. you just got to die to how you feel on a Sunday morning and just turn up. Come on, that's a word to somebody. Get out of bed, you lazy bones, and turn up. <laughs> Obviously preaching to the converted because you're all here. But please convey to those who are still in bed what I've just said. So you just turn up. So we get to this meeting. And we're just saying hello to a few people at the beginning. And there's a businessman there we've met before. And we go and say hi. And, and then he says to us, what's the greatest need in your ministry right now? And, I, and I'm thinking, it's finance, but I don't want to tell you that. And, I, uh, 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 and then he says, is it finance? I said, well, yes, it is. He said, well, I'm going to put $1,000 in your account tomorrow. I said, wow, thank you so much. I said, I don't know what's happened, but it's the greatest financial need we've had in 10 years of ministry. He said, great, I'll double it to 2,000. Then I'm trying to think of something else to say right at that point, but 
nothing, nothing came, nothing came. So that's cool. We, we did the meeting and uh, God blessed a whole bunch of people. And as we're traveling home, Greta and I are saying to one another, wow, who would have thought? It's a little meeting and God would have somebody there that he wanted to use to meet our need. But then I said to Greta, honey, we, we, 2,000 is great, but we actually need 6,000. And so we prayed. I said, we said, Lord, would you please speak to him overnight that he'd make it $6,000? <laughs> you have not because you asked not. And you know what? I checked the bank account the next day, $6,000. He's, he's a miracle working God. We, see, it would have been tempting to get out of the river at 2,000, but we, we needed six, so we kept sticking in the river until that $6,000 flowed down toward us. Don't get out of the river until you see the dry ground appear. Don't get out of the river until you have the complete breakthrough. Don't get out of the river until you get a building of your own. You know, to wrap it up, God is the God that makes a way where there is no way. He moves mountains that have been immovable. He makes roads in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He opens doors that no one will shut. He makes the impossible possible. He saves the hopelessly lost and he heals the desperately sick. He really does. And I believe we need to recall again, what has God done for you in the past? Because I believe he'll do it again. There will be breakthroughs in strongholds of the enemy. God is raising up an emboldened people who dare to believe that as in times of old, he's still the way maker, he's still the miracle worker, he's the promise keeper, and he's the light in the darkness. In every dark season, you and me and the world will walk through. He is our light. He is the one that is shining. And in a moment, we're going to sing a very powerful song called Do It Again by Elevation. And those words that you'll find in the song are going to allow you to express your faith to God. It's going to, the song is going to allow you to pick up the staff. The song is going to allow you to step into the water. And you know, we're not just singing a song. We will be prophetically declaring truth. And when you prophetically declare something, it shifts things in the heavens. And I don't know how long it's going to take for your miracle to flow to you, whether it's hours, weeks, days, months, or even years. But I tell you what, it's worth standing in the river for that marriage. It's worth standing in the river for your kid that's off in drugs. It's worth standing in the river for that relationship to be restored. It's worth standing in the river for a financial breakthrough. And it's worth standing in the river for a move of the Spirit of God to sweep over our nation.